Hey everyone, Shelly and Adam here. Marketing Monday. We're back and we're talking to somebody that I've actually been really looking forward to trying to meet up with for a couple of weeks now. Jason Reisdorfer, which there's we can't really attribute a company to him because he's got his fingers in all sorts of different pots. <laughs> so um, we're going to be talking today a little bit about Cancoda because I'm interested in like what your how you're going to be attacking the market with that as far as marketing and what all is going on there. But also you've got some business consulting and then also um, some systems that you've set up for other companies. And that's something that I'd really personally, that would bring me a lot of value. And so I'm hoping it brings other people value. So Jason, why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about your story, like how you came to this point that you're at right now? Sure. So, um, in January, I, I completed uh, some time with the mayor. I, I was uh, the director of innovation and technology for the city of Sioux Falls. Before that, I spent uh, about seven years at Wiser Distributing. Um, we started with uh, three of us basically in the garage, and it's grown into a gigantic company right now. So um, in, in January, when I left the city, uh, I had some plans. You know, the fact of the matter is I just love the entrepreneurial network. I love the the, the, the thrill of the hunt, you know, of some of the stuff. And so I really had that itch to get back into the private sector and, and try a couple things. Um, it wasn't the greatest planning on my part to like do that heading straight into the heart of a pandemic. Um, so <laughs> it's been a little bit interesting, um, but at the same time, it's, it's super fun. I think any, any entrepreneur knows that when they're, when they're when they're starting something from scratch, you have tons of iterations of what you thought was going to happen, and so these iterations just were formed on the daily based on the coronavirus pandemic. So, so yeah, like you said, right now um, I've got a couple of uh, companies up and running. Executive Apps is is my strategic consulting company. I'm working with uh, five or six uh, clients right now. Uh, a lot of them are focused on the EOS traction model that we implemented at uh, Wiser Distributing. I know there's a few companies around Sioux Falls that are doing that. Uh, and there's a few implementers. And so uh, I'm, I'm doing that for a few companies right now. The business that I'm trying to start from scratch is Cancoda. Um, I literally filed my LLC on March 17th, like square <laughs> in the heart of coronavirus. Like I think March 12th or 13th was the actual date that it was like real when the nba canceled their season and three days later i filed my llc for this thing um so what you, what you, mean, need, to, you need to re, you need to reiterate that you need to change that story a little bit you need to say i knew i was going to be sitting at home a lot so like <laughs> i just decided to start up a, another company like yeah <laughs> um exactly it. To, be, to be perfectly honest i didn't know a ton about cbd or cannabis or hemp or any of that stuff um until until after I left the city and, and one of my friends reached out to me and said, Hey, I've got this thing. And he actually uh, has a couple of farms in Fort Collins. And, you know, so I flew out there and visited the, the hemp industrial hemp farms and told me everything about it. Give me, you know, I'm a skeptical guy saying this stuff doesn't work. It's not real. And like, as I became um, more and more knowledgeable about it, I really started to become a little bit passionate about this as a, a tool that can help people. And um, I think it's a really exciting industry. And, you know, I think most people think of CBD as just little oils that you take or whatever, but the, the hemp industry, I think is a multi-billion dollar industry waiting to go big. 
everything from hemp straws to hemp, you know, plastic, replacing plastic bags at grocery store with hemp bags. Uh, people are, are talking about replacing, building houses out of hemp, you know, making hempcrete instead of concrete. So this little company, Canacota, is just the very front edge of what I think is going to be a gigantic um, industry. And, you know, I'm just trying to be a part of it. So, Wow, man. I think uh, I think I might have to break out my notebook um, here because I think I'm going to learn a lot. Um, I'm kind of interested. Let's start first with the um, uh, what was the operations company, the um, strategy company, uh, executive ops, executive ops. Um, what is this uh, traction model? If you can like kind of put it into like uh, just a quick synopsis, which is sometimes pretty difficult to do. But yeah, yeah. So the like, the, the two second version is it's. It's like a, this is this is a attraction EOS model. It's it's a it's a way for businesses to organize their goals, and they do it in three month chunks. Mainly, you know, instead of setting a lot of people set one year goals and five year goals. That's good. That's part of this system too, but these guys really do a great job of taking your goals and breaking it into three months, what they call rocks, uh, and those break down into thirteen weekly to dos that that if you are intentional about setting these weekly to-dos, you will accomplish this three-month goal. And those start to stack up and stack up and hit your, your annual goal. We started doing this at Wiser Distributing about four years ago. Um, and like anything new, it was brutal at the start. We didn't want to do it. We were crushing. We were in 5,000. And, and we just like wanted to just keep doing it. But we knew, you know, Bob and Eric Weiser, they said, if we're not going to be intentional about what we're doing, it's, it's going to not be as effective. And so it's about, it's really good for growth companies. It's really good with companies that are struggling or that have issues that they can't seem to get checked off. And, and so uh, my role in some of these companies, it's, I'm, I'm not deciding their future. They are. I'm just helping them organize it in a three-month chunk that, that makes it uh, easy to, to be accountable and for the leader of the organization to have his team be accountable uh, and everybody kind of has a voice at the table. So everybody knows what each other is doing. And um, I guess that's longer than a 30 second synopsis, but that's, it's really. Hey man, really we've got like, an entire hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a strategic planning tool and there's lots of them out there. This is just one that I'm familiar with and that we've been really successful with. Uh, we actually uh, started implementing it at the city right before I started to leave. And we had a couple of quarterly um, goals and sessions and it was really positive. It's not really built for government, but we tried to take some of that private sector tools and put it into government. And, um, you know, so I, I joked before, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to the book authors about making a government operating system and, and seeing if it's something that's possible for the government. So that's, that's on my, my wall of stuff to do down the road. Once higher, I get a few more of these under my belt. Yeah. 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 But so yeah. Um, wrong quick question about it. And I know most of these programs, they say, oh, it's a once it's, it can work for any company, any size, any, any status or anything like that. But what would you say would be, um, a good age range for a company to start, um, using some of these principles or team size or anything like that? And the reason why I'm asking is because with my current company, Clarity Coat, um, you know, we're sub, we're just sub one year. Um, we're still just um, the co-founder and I, um, well, not necessarily, but, uh, but, you know, we have goals that we want to hit, but we're just kind of on this trajectory where it's just like, pfft, like this, you know, and it's just kind of like, 
shiny new object after shiny new object and you know just trying to keep pace with everything but what would you would you say like businesses at year three um when things are a little bit more settled are um able to really extract more out of this or what would you what's your thoughts it's a great question uh we did it when we had about 40 40 employees i think at wiser distributing i think it was right around 40 employees and so we had a leadership a quota you know our leadership team was built up of about six to eight people uh and so i think that worked really well for us because a lot of the tasks and the rocks and the to-dos uh, get disseminated down through the organization. And so if it's just two or three of you, I mean, mo most likely you guys are meeting on a regular basis, probably daily or hourly. That's what we were doing. Um, I think it's when companies start to get a little bigger where you're not seeing each other every day face-to-face -face and you need that uh, weekly check-in where you can like kind of catch up. Um, so I don't know if the age of the company matters. Um, I think I think once you start getting to 10 to 12 people in the organization, that maybe is when it starts to make sense. And your leadership meetings for traction uh, would likely be maybe three people, right? Deciding these rocks and goals that, that then cascade out to the, the 10 to 12 people in the organization. Uh, I will say that, you know, had we done it sooner, just like anything, the sooner, the best time to do it was yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> Second best time is today. Yep. You know, the worst time is tomorrow. Um, and so I think that was probably true for us too, um, because you have to kind of get through, you have to go through the, the process. And so you kind of waste the first quarter or two kind of learning the system before you actually start getting stuff done. But um, I just facilitated Wiser Distributing's uh, quarterly meeting a, a couple of weeks ago. They took on a monumental, I think they had like 10, 12 quarterly rocks, um, which is really ambitious, but you get really good at doing it and you get a lot more stuff done. So yeah. I, I think, you know, this thing's built for organizations of, you know, 200 to 500 people, I think, or, or fewer. Um, so not gigantic organizations, but I think you need to have 10 to 12 to really, you know, make it work the best. Okay, cool. Shelly, do you I have any? Yeah, I will jump in and say that, like, I think there's pieces of it, though, that, like, I still think, knowing what I know of where you guys are at, Adam, like, I think there's definitely pieces that would be incredibly valuable for you two to still read through traction and understand what some of those pieces are. And even if you don't have, like, quarterly rocks, per se, that you're communicating out to other people, I think it's a fantastic way of organizing and breaking down those larger goals, because you guys... I mean, you and I have talked recently about some of the big things that are happening and just the littler steps that you have to take in order to make sure that you guys are going to be there in three or six months. Yep. And so I think that method in general, even if you guys have to tweak it to where you guys are at today, would be incredibly valuable. Yep. Yeah, I could I could maybe see where, um, you know, right now, just singular projects that are coming on are would would almost kind of be like a, and I know nothing about the program, just to understand that I've read a couple of these books. So I kind of understand some of these theories that go behind it. But when it's like two or three people on a team, just these singular projects that come on that, oh, we're going to be distributing in China now. Okay. What do we got to do to get ready for China? We got to get labels made for it and all this other stuff. That's almost like its own rock that then you have to like then disseminate down goals for everything. And then how are we going to go about marketing for um, that? Um, market and everything like that. Um, so I think the most important thing 
And this is why it would be useful to a new company or a younger, I'd say younger company. Um, you can't do it all. You can't do it all at once for sure. And so the process, the traction process helps you prioritize what you want done in this three months. And all the other stuff that comes in as opportunities or ideas or whatever, they kind of have to take a little bit of a backseat until you get this month's rack accomplished, um, which is what you as whether it's two of you or 10 of you, but you all as a company have agreed that this is your priority. Um, if you keep starting something and a new opportunity and a new opportunity, and a new opportunity come by, that's when these things just drag on forever. And so the accountability is not so much about stepping through every single step and making sure they get, but it's like shielding yourself from all these other things that are coming in and causing you to not accomplish some of your goals. So drowning, uh, and, drowning an opportunity. That's right. And I, I think one of the most important things that Traction does is it walks you through how to set a company dashboard that tells you how you're doing. And you start reviewing that every single week. Um, some companies maybe look out, some owners, CEOs might look hourly at their staff, but you know, some companies might, might not look until, you know, their CPA comes in at the end of the year. And then they're like, Oh, what the heck? I don't understand it. But if you start looking at it in one week chunks, setting your one week goals and quarterly goals, you can course correct a lot faster than if you wait till the end of the year. What were, what were some of those early days uh, struggles that you had with um, Weister distributing? Was it, was, was it determining what was a good goal? Was it determining like, um, okay, this is our big rock. Now, how do we break it down into these smaller steps? How do we delegate it out? Like what was, what were some of those things that you struggled with early? I think um, so. One of the tools in traction is, is called, an issues list. Um, the, the acronym in the book is IDS, where you identify it, you discuss it, and you solve it. Um, early on, and, and so here's why you're distributing as six to eight youngish, you know, 30, I'll just say 35 on average age uh, executives that are, are running this super crushing business. Nobody wants to bring their issues into the room and be that guy that says, I've got a problem, I need some help with it. And so I think most companies like that are a little bit protective. And, and so I'd say just like getting vulnerable with each other and trusting each other in that room um, was some of the biggest issues because if you're guarding some of that stuff and the rest of the company doesn't know that you have an issue, um, it's tough for us to know why you're not getting your sales numbers done and why the shipping department is, you know, doing something else. So I think the first, that's why I'm saying, you know, the first three or four sessions of going through this is all about uh, building this team. In fact, um, the implementer that we had put us through a module with the five dysfunctions of a team um, because that's, that's some of the, if you're not bringing it all into this table, into this room, you're just not going to get the most out of it. And so that was more of the issue for us. And I think a lot of the companies that start out are early. Um, there's never an issue with coming up with the next idea or the next 20 things that we should be doing, you know, in a growing company. There's a laundry. Why is your distributing pick, I think, 10-ish or 10 rocks this last quarter? And they left a board of like 40 other options that they'll be able to go to in the next quarter and the next quarter. So once you get good at this, coming up with, you know, the ideas is never going to be the problem. It's, it's you know being vulnerable and bring it to the table and say, Hey, I need some help or I'm struggling with this thing or yep. yeah, I missed on this goal and here's why. And and so once you get past that, then you can really start to cruise. And I'm um, sorry, Shelly, if I'm kind of taking over, but like I get 
I mean, like I can't ask enough questions about this kind of stuff, but uh, I'm guessing that when you're trying to determine these rocks, you're trying to set like an overall goal of like, okay, this quarter, um, let's, we grew really, really hard the last two quarters. Like we had a 50% growth in the last two quarters and we're starting to see some strain in our stability. So now a lot of these rocks that we need to pick up and like, these are our um, micro goals are going to have to um, be around like, how do we get more stable? Does it mean that we build out uh, staffing? And if we build out staffing, is our training procedures up to par? Okay. If our training procedures aren't up to par, then we need to we need to bring that up. Is that kind of like how some of these discussions go? Yeah. So, so the rocks is three months. Um, that's a part of the process, but when you start with an annual, you, you start with the annual meeting, that's the transfer process is an annual kickoff meeting and then three quarterly meetings. And then at the end of the year, you have another annual meeting. During your annual meeting, you talk about your 10 year goals and your three year goals. And then you really focus in on your one year goal. And, and when you decide that as a company, as a team, what your one-year goal is, a lot of your quarterly rocks lead up to that. Gotcha. Right? So if you say, we want $1,000 in sales this year. Okay, that means we need to have $200 in sales this quarter. How do we get that? So the, the quarterly rock is to create $200 in sales. And so now what do you have to do uh, – every week for 13 weeks to make that $200 rock come true or, you know, that, that, that's how it goes. So most of the rocks are leading uh, towards accomplishing your one year goals. Once you have that set, then it's, then it's pretty easy. The other way that rocks are developed. Um, we, when we go through this planning session, we have this IDS session, uh, identify, discuss and solve some of the issues and you go just around the table and say, here's, what do you think the issue is? What do you think an issue is? What do you think an issue is? And as you uh, vet those issues out, the solve might be, we need to focus on this thing for three months. And, and at the end of this three months, if this is done, that will solve this issue. And gotcha. so that, that, that's kind of the two ways that rocks are developed, either through your annual goals as, as being a part of an annual goal or through an issue that's bigger than just a one day or one week decision, something that needs the full quarters of attention on. Gotcha. The one thing that I'll tell you, Adam, just, you know, only having worked with it specifically for a couple quarters is the the rocks are aren't necessarily your to-do list right so your rocks are your goal and underneath that you still have your to-do list to get to it so like some of the things that you're thinking of of like if we're going to go into china we need to have the labels made we need to have whatever like your goal would be we're going to have ten thousand dollars in sales in china by the end of q2 and then separately from that, your to-do list is all of the things that you need to do to accomplish that. Yeah. That okay. makes sense. Yep. Yep. Am okay. I right, Jason? My understanding. Oh, you nailed it. You were listening in class. Good job. <laughs> you get an A. Here's your gold star. <laughs> I have a lot of them, Adam. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Alec Prison is full of it is. gold stars. So um, I guess I know we're going to be taking some steps back, but I'm kind of curious as I'm sure some other people are, how do you, how did you arrive at entrepreneurship is like the thing for me? That's, that's what I want to do. Like, were you a kid at lemonade stands, you know, that kind of thing, or what, how did that whole thing happen? Was it because you were working with Wiser and you just saw this tremendous growth and you're like, man, I just love being a part of this. Like, what, what was it for you? Um, I, I, I think it was pretty early in my life. Um, I, I, 
I had a, you know, I had a paper out. Um, we used to sell for Bantam baseball. If anybody was like grew up in Sioux Falls, Bantam baseball had, um, they sold either caramel chocolates or, or mint chocolates as like your fundraiser. And, um, I just like was devastated if I didn't crush the record every year on selling these caramels and mints. And, you know, I then carried over to Boy Scouts. I sold the most Boy Scout popcorns. I want the highest prize and all this stuff. So I just figured out early on, like the harder you work, the more you grinded, the more money you can make, you know? And, and my mom did a really good job with me um, early on, making me put half of every single thing I earned, no matter what, whether it was babysitting or paper out, half went straight to savings. Like the day you got it, you paid yourself half. Wow. And so, you know, so you sell a hundred dollars worth of Boy Scout popcorn, like you only get 50. So that means you got to work twice as hard if you want a hundred dollars. Right. So, um, that was really early for me. And, um, I, I, I was, I was working like kind of as full time as you can get at 14 and 15 and 16 and 18, like and through college, I just was always grinding. And I was, I was usually in something to do with sales or something to do with uh, entrepreneurship. I actually worked for Cellular Only for Janet Eining back in the day. When she started Cellular Only uh, at the, the state fair, selling cell phones out of the trunk of her car. And so <laughs> her son and I, you know, kind of when we were in high school, we were manning, you know, one of her locations. And I saw that company grow from four or five of us at Cellular Only into like the behemoth that it is today, you know? And, and um, you know, so like, I really, I really uh, engaged with some of the entrepreneurial minds that I worked for, uh, and that I was that I was close to really early on, and um, yeah, I just, I really, get, I really like um, getting rewarded for working really hard or figuring something out or you know getting figuring out the best way to do it. Um, I, I, I have one of the first like five-digit eBay accounts. You know, I was flipping Beanie Babies, you know, buying them from McDonald's and putting them on eBay when I was 16. Dang. Uh, old so like, school hustle right there. Oh, yeah. Like, I was just looking at my eBay account, like, members since 2000, you know, it's like not too many people have that, you know? And um, so, yeah, it's the, the, the retail arbitrage where, you know, I can't help myself walk into Home Depot and see, like, a toolkit on the clearance rack and, and look it up on eBay to see if I can flip it for $50 more. I mean, I still have that in me every single day. Uh, my daughter and I would go to Walmart and buy all the the newest game that would come out. We'd have them on Amazon the next day. I mean, it's just it's just always been there for me. Um, and entrepreneurship like that, I think, spills over into tons of different industries because you know you don't have to necessarily sell products to be an entrepreneur. You know, you can come up with a great service or a great platform, but it's still like finding that best way to do it. And that's what I'm really drawn to, and that's. I don't know. That's the entrepreneur in me that I just can't get rid of. That's awesome. Okay. So let's talk about Cancoda. Um, probably a slightly controversial product in the state of South Dakota, because we're a little bit of more of a conservative state. And so we have a harder time bringing in these newer as a, as a whole state, not maybe, not maybe necessarily uh, Sioux Falls, but bringing in these kind of newer products. Um, what is your, are you focusing more on like a national um, scene or are you focusing more regional? Like what's, what's kind of like your game plan for Cancoda? So, you know, as I kind of said in the, in the beginning, I think it's a gigantic thing. And um, I would say that, you know, the, the, the people, the early adopters of CBD as, as a, 
a supplement. I think there's probably only five to 10 to maybe 15% of the population that understand it, um, that, that get what it is, you know, there's, it's like 50, 50. Like if you say, yeah, I'm selling CBD, half the people are like, Oh, that's sweet. I, you know, my mom uses that. The other half of the people are like, you mean weed? Like you're selling weed? Like what, <laughs> what, 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 you know? And so, you know, I think that the, my goal right now with this thing, I, I've got, um, I've got about 12 products in my store live. We've been selling. I've got a PO and a, and a, um, a order process for about 20 other things, gummies and tinctures and things like that. Uh, for me, um, it's getting the products, uh, getting some, building some audience, building some followers, uh, and, and then creating an opportunity for education because I think that there's tons of snake oil out there. I think there's tons of stuff that if you don't know exactly what you're taking, it could be, it could be fake. I don't think it's going to be necessarily harmful to you, but it could just be water, you know, in a, in a, in a bottle and you don't really know. And so um, a lot of the infomercials that you see late at night, I think are some of that snake oil. Uh, there's, there's a couple of retailers in town that carry this, this stuff that have the word Vana after it. And just because you put the word Vana after something, you know, it doesn't make you like, legit um and so i think that there's, a, there's a big opportunity for education there's a couple places in town that are doing it the right way that have a local following that are understanding that but for me the reason i, I called it cancoda like i this is a midwest um culture this is a midwest environment that i want to be helpful like i there's nothing that makes me feel better than when uh, my 82 year old grandpa says he sleeps through the night for the first time in 20 years after taking this stuff like, yeah, I made a few bucks on the deal, but like letting somebody have the quality of life that makes them feel better, that, I mean, at the end, that's the service-minded service, service minded entrepreneur. And um, so, so yeah, I'm starting right now with, with a few products and trying to get some some footing in that. But I, I think the end game of this stuff is very large. Um, like I mentioned, you know, the connections I have, they're involved in the genetics of this stuff, the seeds, the farming, the, the manufacturing, you know, they take the farming and processing and they keep it all in house. And I think that there's a lot of uh, CBD companies out there that are, that are multi-level marketing where there's a middleman and a middleman and a middleman. And uh, the only people that I'm interested in doing it is straight from the source um, so that we have an accurate tracking of where this stuff has been, how it's been handled, how it's been processed. Um, we use a, we use a company that's, that's got GMP certification, um, good manufacturing process uh, practices. There's, a, if you don't have GMP stamped on your a bottle of CBD that you're taking, that means like it could be a, it could have been handled by anybody. And so we're just trying to focus on quality and then provide some education piece along with it and and just see where that goes. Right now, I've got everything online um, because I'm refusing to put on pants that have anything but a drawstring in them. And so I like to be able to just like go to my warehouse garage and pull my order and ship it, you know, in the comfort of my uh, Jordan shorts. Um, but we're looking at some retail spaces. And I, I think that that's where I, I'm like not a necessarily huge fan of the brick and mortar retail, but I think in the education piece of this, it's going to be a step that's, that's required and needed. And, and so we've been looking at a couple of locations to maybe go live around town. Uh, yeah, so that was one of my questions for you, Jason. Like, how are you guys going to educate people? Like, how, like, really, where's your focus going to be if you if you don't have that um, 
that in-person advantage right now as to some of the other people that are selling it in town, what direction are you going to take to educate people on why they should care about the GMP or stuff like that? I, yeah, that's a great question. It's not the, it's not what I'm good at. Like creating the content and creating the blog posts and creating the, uh, uh, the discussion and the education piece. That's not what I'm good at. Um, I'm good at, finding products, negotiating a great deal, getting them listed and shipping them the best way. Like I'm more the logistics side of it. And so at some point uh, I'm going to have to, you know, I think my first hire uh, whenever I can, you know, get there is going to be in the, in the realm of digital marketing, digital content. Um, and then I think, you know, the, I love Jeff Pickett and his video work. I think, you know, creating some com- compelling content that makes it easy to understand um, on the why. I think there's a ton of people that have the product and you can go find it. I don't think there's a, a ton of people doing a great job educating on here's what this is, here, here's how this can help you, and here's where the future is. So our, our it's not developed yet on our site, but we're looking for a really strong educational piece on our, on our website and on our social media that's going to be telling that story. And, and we want it to be, you know, I'm an Amazon guy at heart. And so we want this content to be self-sufficient. I don't really want to have to have a salesperson be the sole tribal knowledge of the product. Like I want to, you know, make this where if people have a question, they click a button and they watch a three-minute video and it, and they they leave feeling better, you know, because they understand it more. And and so that's that's the future of where I want to get this thing to go. And that's that's one of the reasons why I haven't really purchased it, to be honest. Like, so I have friends that, that sell CBD. I know a lot of people that sell CBD and have been doing it for a couple of years now. And there's just not enough education out there um, other than, you know, the, the few, just the salesperson kind of stuff between people. There's not enough where you can just get independent information. And I think for me, as a parent who has looked at it for my teenagers, as there's that's something that I think is super valuable to have the independent resources that aren't going to be a sales pitch. And I think that's one of the struggles that I think you're probably going to face in this area. And it'll be interesting to see how you're able to overcome that. Uh, I totally agree. Um, I, I've got, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't even probably say it because maybe somebody's going to steal my idea, but I've got this like, dream to create this um virtual experience where you know you've got if, if have you heard of the company teledoc where you know that you basically can have an ipad come up and be your doctor right where you know you can interact with the screen like i i think that there's probably an opportunity for that if you can think of a display case at a store where you walk up to it and you just see a bunch of products with prices and you're like i don't know but if there was like this video interactive video tutorial where you can kind of like you know, ask the screen a question or two. I mean, you can't hire a person to stand there and just sell your product at Lewis or or anywhere you go. But if you had this like technology that could interact with people to, to, to bridge the gap between the education, that's, that's where I really want this thing to go. Um, I don't know if we can get there, but that's, that's on my wall of ideas. We'll see. Never say never, man. We're probably not as far away as you think with VR and AR coming. Like, it's probably not that far away. I, I saw I saw one of the companies that we toured um, down in Colorado 
had a, had a similar kind of experience and all they were selling was packs of gum. And they had this like gum dispenser machine and you like t- talked back and forth, interacted with the machine to like pick out your perfect like combo of whatever. Uh, and, and then they dispensed this thing. And so that's, that's where I kind of first had the idea of it. And I don't know if it's going to be CBD vending machines, but it's going to be some sort of interactive experience. And that's whether it's on the website or on our, on our social media, I, I, I like the idea of this AI or virtual reality experience that, that walks people through the, the education piece of this. Yeah. Well, and that's the other side is that CBD isn't cheap, right? And so that in and of itself is a piece that I think a lot of families don't necessarily know the value that it could have to their families because they just see it and they're like, well, I'm not going to spend $80. But if they realize what it could replace in their life or, you know, whatever, there's there's just that education piece. So that kind of leads me to another question that I've had as far as have you, what has the reaction been like from the more medical side? So how, and I, maybe you haven't had any interactions up to this point with them, but what have they been and how do you um, expect that you're going to need to overcome that? I've had a really positive experience with a few different medical professionals. Um, I, I think I think it's probably like a 50-50 split on whether they think it's real or not. I think it's like the same argument on chiropractor or not chiropractor, like whether or not that's real. You know, I think there's cases to be made for both sides. Um, I, I've got a couple of doctors that have reached out to me that said, we want to be a part of this because what comes after CBD, uh, you know, in the form of dispensaries or whatever else, uh, uh, we believe in it. And we want to be a part of it. And so I've got uh, a few different resources that would love to endorse it. And I think that that, from an educational standpoint, um, you know, the, the, the professional testimonial, I think that has a huge impact. I think influencers out there are a big, big deal. I mean, one of the most famous influencers for this stuff is Rob Gronkowski, right? Like Gronk, the football player. He went on, I think it was either his own podcast or Joe Rogan's podcast and took out this little roller of CBD, says, I use this thing every day. It's like changed my life. They sold like billion, you know, overnight. Like that's going from no education to somebody that I trust tells me it's good, so I'm going to believe it. And so- I think that's what the future is from the medical community. I know that there's people, I know my personal doctor, my, my family doctor, uh, when I told him I was doing this, he said, uh, smart, you know, he's like, you know, hopefully this stuff works for you. We can take you off of blood pressure medicine, you know, and that's the goal. It's like, it's, it's taking something that's natural and replacing, you know, uh, medicine that you have to take, you know, 10 times a day or whatever. Um, that's the huge win. That's where, that's where, and it actually for me, I'm telling you, it works. Like I would never, I would never be able to live with myself if I sold somebody something that was just garbage. And so, like before I even put this stuff online or anything, I used it. I'm a basketball referee. I used it on my knee. I couldn't bend it the morning before or the night before. And after I used it, I could I could bend it like it didn't even happen. So like the the the, the benefits it has for inflammation and whatever. Like I just started to become a believer. Um, and I've got, a, I've got a long way to go on education. And so I know that, uh, you know, a huge majority of the, of the population has that same, which I think is the coolest part um, about anything that's new. If, if there's room uh, to get better, like that, that becomes a really good entrepreneurial idea. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, I think testimonials would be um, a really awesome thing. And then, I mean, influencer marketing, I mean, it's been around for 50, well, shoot, like since the dawn of time, really. Like, let's just be honest. Um, So, I mean, like, that's just never going to go away. People are always going to take someone that they perceive to be an authority figure. And if that authority figure says, Hey, like this stuff is for real, like you're just going to, you're just going to sell a lot and it's going to lend a lot of credibility to it. Always has always will. It's just a matter of like, how much does that person cost and, or like getting them to actually believe in it as well so that they endorse it. So that kind of leads me into where I was going a little bit as well. So thanks Adam. So in the Midwest are my specialty. They are, they really are. In the Midwest, everybody buys from people who you know, like, and trust, right? Like that's always kind of the, the tagline in the Midwest. So as you're trying to, as you're trying to build this business, how do, what is your marketing goal? Like, are you going to have like samples that you're giving out to people like from this perspective of having to get people over onto your side? A for CBD and B for your brand of CBD. What's going to differentiate you from everybody else out there? So, again, being an Amazon and eBay guy, uh, the person that's the best price usually gets the most attention. And so, I think a lot of these companies, a lot of the, a lot of, I guess, my competitors out there. that were established early have got it established at a price point that they are making some mega margin on. Uh, Being newer to the game, the only way I'm gonna do it is if I can have the absolute best product for the best price. And that was our philosophy at Wiser Distributing too. Like, we're not gonna sell something if we're not gonna be able to compete at the very best price. Um, That's tricky, like the race to the bottom is, is tricky, you know, when you just continue to have margin deterioration. Um, but that's what I think the advantage that I have, uh, dealing with this, these guys straight from the seeds and the processing is that there's not that many middlemen. And so my goal, whatever I sell, if I can't pass on the savings to the customer, I'm probably just not going to do it. You know, so I'm not going to, my goal is not to be like set the, sell this thing for a hundred by pushing a bunch of marketing strategies at it. My, my goal is to use. Uh, the price as the marketing factor that says uh, you can get this same thing for $60 instead of $80. Yeah. I'm interested. Now is the quality the same? Oh, it's, it's as good or better. Okay. Now you start to get word of mouth that says you're paying 80. You should go buy this for 60. You know, I think that that's what the mid I've had so many of my sales right now um, that said, Hey, my mom's taking this stuff. She pays 119. How is the stuff that's listed on your website for 90 compared to that? And I said it's it's ab- absolutely the, the same or better quality. Uh, and I'm happy to let you try it. If you don't like it, give it back. I mean, I'm that's again that's the Amazon where you just take care of the customer. You don't like something after you put it on? I'll I'll just you just tell me. I'll just refund you. Like I don't need. It's not worth the hassle. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth you know losing sleep over. Um, it's, I'm like a no drama guy. So my marketing strategy and my plan, my, my plan to go to market is to be the best value, best price, no hassle, uh, no gimmicks. Let's go. Um, and the hope I would assume would be that because this is a relatively young product, it's relatively 
new to the market and everything like that, that once it becomes more mature, there begins begins to be more volume of orders that your costs come down because of manufacturing processes, whatever, like economies of scale start to come into play, right? So, you know, if you're starting off at, you know, up here and then um, it starts to whittle down, then you've got more wiggle room for those margins, right? Completely true. Uh, I think probably the biggest expense for me right now is like the shipping and logistics. And that's because, you know, when you're starting out, you're doing volumes of 50 to 100 units. If you can start to get up into the thousands of units, like that your your cost per unit of your, your, your landed cost per unit starts to go down quite a bit. And so that's, that's I think you're, you're right on there. Economies of scale is a big deal. Um, and by the way, a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, I don't even think people are talking about CBD because there's like a hundred of these polymers in these plants. The next thing is CBG. And the thing after that is CBL. And the thing after that is CBN. And, you know, so this for me, um, this is what people are most familiar with and most comfortable with. And, and this remains to be a gateway into something way bigger. Oh, I, mean, yeah. I, I would, I would love nothing more than to be able to figure out the legislation uh, in in the the process of getting our farmers in South Dakota and our farmers in the Midwest to be able to plant this industrial hemp. Oh, uh, that part's it, easy. That that's easy. You just throw as much money at lobbying as you possibly can. <laughs> a cool half mil, this problem goes away overnight. Boom. Duh. You really think a half mil is all that's going to take out them? Well, in South Dakota, you see they're a little bit I cheaper mean. than you know in, in California. Okay, well, well, let's just throw a five mil. Like you know, it's okay. whatever. There you, there you cool go. five mil Go-bar. problem goes away. Well, one of the I, reasons that one of the reasons that the Midwest is really good for e-commerce is because we can get everything to both coasts within two days. And if we had the manufacturing of this uh, CBD or hemp in the Midwest, where we have good quality workers, where we have lots of land for low, reasonable prices, and the farms are super close to us, you start taking out a bunch of these uh, shipping and logistics costs. The Midwest should be the manufacturing hub for, for processing this stuff. Like that's my, oh man, if I could somehow be a part of that in the next five years where it changes some farmers' lives and we create some jobs 